thousand dead persons? Oh, shoot. From time to time, I've been giving it a thought or two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things, dude, before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dang nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! Hey folks, this is Flat Black Plastic on MutinyRadio.fm. We're going to start out with an interview with Harry Dean Stanton. Harry, remember, you were talking about those two people, remember? I knew these people, these two people. <clears throat> they were in love with each other. The girl was 
Very young, about 17 or 18, I guess. And the guy was quite a bit older. And he was kind of raggedy and wild. And she was very beautiful, you know? And together they turned everything into a kind of an adventure. And she liked that. Just an ordinary trip down to the grocery store was full of adventure. And they were always laughing at stupid things. He liked to make her laugh. And they didn't much care for anything else uh, because all they wanted to do was be with each other. They were always together. And he, he loved her more than he ever felt possible. He couldn't stand being away from her um, during the day when he went to work. So he'd quit just to be home with her. And then he'd get another job when the money ran out. And then he'd quit again. But pretty soon she started to worry. About what? Money, I guess. Not having enough. Hmm. Not knowing when the next check was coming in. Yeah, I know that feeling. So he started to get kind of torn inside. How do you mean? Well, he knew he had to work to support her, but he couldn't stand being away from her either. Ah, see. And the more he was away from her, the crazier he got. Except now, he got really crazy. He started imagining all kinds of things. Like what? He started thinking that she was seeing other men on the sly. He'd come home from work and accuse her of spending the day with somebody else. He'd yell at her and break things in the trailer. Yes. They lived in a trailer home. Anyway, he started to drink real bad. And he'd stay out late to test her, to see if she'd get jealous. He wanted her to get jealous, but she didn't. She's just worried about him. That got him even madder. He thought if she never got jealous of him that she didn't really care about him. Jealousy was a sign of her love for him. And then one night, one night she told him that she was pregnant. She was about three or four months pregnant and he didn't even know. And then suddenly everything changed. He stopped drinking got a steady job. He was convinced that she loved him now because she was carrying his child. And he was going to dedicate himself to making a home for her. 
But a funny thing started to happen. He didn't even notice it at first. She started to change. From the day the baby was born, she began to get irritated with everything around her. She got mad at everything. Even the baby seemed to be an injustice to her. He kept trying to make everything all right for her, buy her things, take her out to dinner once a week. But nothing seemed to satisfy her. For two years, he struggled to pull them back together like they were when they first met. But finally, he knew that it was never going to work out. So he hit the bottle again. But this time it got mean. This time when he came home late at night, she wasn't worried about him or jealous. She was just enraged. She accused him of holding her captive by making her have a baby. She told him that she dreamed about escaping. That was all she dreamed about, escape. She saw herself at night running naked down a highway, running across fields, running down riverbeds, always running. And always just when she was about to get away, he'd be there. He would stop her somehow. He would just appear and stop her. And when she told him these dreams, he believed them. He knew she had to be stopped or she'd leave him forever. So he tied a cowbell to her ankle so he could hear at night if she tried to get out of bed. But she learned how to muffle the bell by stuffing a sock into it and inching her way out of the bed and into the night. He caught her one night when the sock fell out and he heard her trying to run to the highway. He caught her and dragged her back to the trailer and tied her to the stove his belt. He just left her there, went back to bed, and lay there listening to her scream. Then he listened to his son's scream. And he was surprised at himself because he didn't feel anything anymore. All he wanted to do was sleep. First time, he wished he were far away, lost in a deep, vast country where nobody knew him, somewhere without language or streets. And he dreamed about this place without knowing its name. And when he woke up, he was on fire. blue flames burning the sheets of his bed. He ran through the flames toward the only two people he loved. But they were gone. His arms were burning and he threw himself outside and rolled on the wet ground. Then he ran. Back at the fire. He just ran. He ran until the sun came up, and he couldn't run any further. And 
the sun went down, he ran again. For five days he ran like this, until every sign of man had disappeared.
people. This is the Flat Black Plastic Show, and the bulk of these records were purchased last Thursday at Community Thrift. And if you haven't been there, you should go. It's on Valencia in between 17th and 18th on the east side. Uniradio.fm. <laughs> Thank you. 
problem now so scarce. Throughout the Middle Ages, the use of liquor was universal, and drunkenness was so common, it was unnoticed. They called it the Middle Ages, because no one was able to walk home unless they were between two other fellows. I was usually the middle guy. But through the years, enlightenment came, and with it, the control of spiritus fermenti. And controlling spiritus fermenti is tougher than tying a hair ribbon on a bolt of lightning. That's a good simile. Now, before I go any further, please do not labor under the misconception that I always have been a teetotaler. No. In my younger days, I was prone to take a nip. I chortle now at the form of weakness in my otherwise strong character. But how well I remember my first encounter with a devil's brew. Devil's brew. I happened to stumble across a piece of bourbon. And I went right on stumbling for several days thereafter. <laughs> Radio's comedians made America laugh. But one entertainer more than any other made America sing. He was vaudeville's greatest minstrel man, dynamic Al Jolson, who thanks to the magic of radio was heard by millions who took him home.
giorni fuori Capotombole a una stella
Hey folks, coming to you from the Rainy Mission District. This is a flat black plastic radio show on Mutiny Radio. FM.
written history of American radio could ever capture its true essence on paper, because above all, radio was a medium of sound. From the lifeless, sometimes confusing printed page of the radio script came vivid sound pictures, which stimulated the listener's imagination and produced the desired illusion instantly. Using the simple sound tools of radio, the writers, directors, and technicians could create countless locales and infinite numbers of dramatic events. For many years, this sound heralded a half hour of occult terror and nerve-tingling suspense for millions of nighttime radio listeners. No one doubted that unspeakable horrors lurked behind the squeaking door of the inner sanctum, and if in the course of his eerie introduction, Raymond, the host, apologized for not having had time to count the bodies, living and dead, who will be heard on tonight's show, America knew the worst was yet to come, and they could hardly wait. But not all... But not all of radio's sounds were the sounds of melodrama. By the 1930s, music was well established as a staple of radio, and the music makers became the idols of millions. One of these idols was a singer whose rolling diction and virile voice thrilled the faithful females who never missed a broadcast by the street singer. Give me a home where the buffalo roam, where the deer and the antelope play, where seldom is heard a discouraging word, and the skies are not cloudy all day. home on the range where the deer and the antelope play where seldom is heard a discouraging word and the skies are not cloudy all day
Hey folks, this is Flat Black Plastic on uniradio.fm. Thank you. 
Mr. Keene series, in which the kindly old investigator brings to us his most celebrated cases on Mondays through Fridays at this same time. Tonight, the Shrieking Prisoner murder case. The scene opens at night in a large old-fashioned house in a lonely section of New York City. A young man has just entered the darkened interior, and as he moves across the room, he hears a sudden, blood-curdling shriek of frustration and anguish coming from another part of the house. The young man stands frozen for a moment. Then as he quickly moves to a door and opens it, a shot rings out. Later, a murderer peers down with grim satisfaction at the figure on the floor. The lifeless body of a young man with a bullet through his heart. And now, Mr. Keene, the famous investigator, and his partner, Mike Clancy, are looking into the murder. The scene of the crime is a home owned by two weird sisters. Martha and Amy Carson, and the murdered man is their niece's young husband. Why has he been murdered? Mr. Keene is first attempting to find the source of the frightful shrieking which has been heard in the house, but he and Mike are being blocked by Martha Carson and Luther Prague, her burly handyman, who has entered the room with an axe in his hand. As Mr. Keene says, Martha Carson. I'm here with my partner, Mike Clancy, to investigate the murder of young Donald Travers. I suggest you tell your handyman to let us go upstairs. If you try to prevent us, you'll only put yourself further under suspicion for the murder that occurred in this house last night. In sharp contrast to Mr. Keene, there was the fast-talking, hard-boiled insurance investigator, Johnny Dollar. Friends account, item four, five cents, phone call. Police headquarters. Give me missing persons. Any particular one? Don't be a wise guy. Lieutenant Fisher. Oh. Yes, sir. Lieutenant Fisher. Oh, Fisher, this is Johnny Dollar. Well, hello, Dollar. What did you lose? Uh, practically everybody. Let's start with a girl, Theodora Butts. You mean you lost your girl? <laughs> Why didn't you call Dorothy Dix? Don't waste time being clever. Just check your reports, will you? Hold on. Buddington. Bumpus. Byers. Nope. Nothing on it, Dollar. 
Okay, well, uh, try this one. Brooks, Milford III. Bullseye. Brooks, Milford III. He hasn't been reported missing, and we haven't found him yet. But, uh, we think we know where he is. Oh, this kind of a question I always hate to ask. Where? The Hudson River. At 11.15 tonight, his top coat, complete with identification, was found taking a ride on the 125th Street Ferry. Anything else? Mm, nothing much. Package of matches was found under the coat, monogram. Uh, you don't happen to know anybody whose initials are H.H., do you? H.H.? Well, as always Horace Height. Thanks, Fisher. I'll check back with you later. I'll be here. On another program, the theme music of the show created an air of mystery that captured and held the listener at once.
Well, Gracie, say hello to everybody. Hello, everybody. <laughs> what do I do now? Well, just make something up, you know. Oh, all right. I'll make up a riddle. I'll give you three chances, and if you can't guess it, you win. If I can't guess it, I win? Well, what happens if I guess it? Well, uh, then it's a tie. It's a tie? Now, what's the difference? Just a minute, Gracie. Uh, this one is on me. A fellow was in a restaurant. He ordered spinach, mashed potatoes, and cheesecake. How did I know that he was a soldier? Um, oh, is that the one where the fellow had on a uniform? Yeah, that's very good, George. Tell us. I'd like to know is how do I allow myself to get mixed up into these things? <laughs> oh, that's very funny. Now, I'll make one up. Not only can I make up riddles, George, I can also tell you what you're thinking about. I'm a mind reader. Listen, Gracie, is there anything that phases you? I don't think so. Uh, no. All right, now, think of something. Well, all right, I'm thinking. Uh, is it green? Is what green? Does it hang from the ceiling and whistle? Does what hang from the ceiling?